0: Hey, thank you for listening to the City Life Church podcast. We are leading people to become fully alive in Jesus. We're a church in San Francisco, and we are praying that this word will encourage you, challenge you, and help you grow in your faith journey. I kick off this this series today, and it has to do with this idea of walking with the Lord because a relationship with with Jesus is not static. It's not just a one-time experience where you went to a camp meeting or a church service or you went to a small group or an outreach and then you had an encounter with Jesus and that was it. No, it's, it's a progressive journey. That's why we even use the terms like the walk. What walk of life do you come from? And, and the Bible uses different analogies and metaphors like running the race and it's progressive. It's, it's, it's a movement. It unfolds before us and it continues into eternity. So this idea of walking with Jesus, it's a lifestyle. It's not just a one-time decision. Are you with me? Are you with me so far? So I'm going to kick this off next Sunday. I'm excited because we're going to have five amazing speakers that are going to come. And five on five, they're going to come, not play against each other, but they're going to play against the clock. And they're going to preach great sermons in about a five-minute window, five different ones from our team here. I think you guys are going to love it. I can't wait. I'm actually flying to... uh, Uh, Alaska to do some prophetic ministry this week. And the pastor said, please, can you stick around for a Sunday I said, heck nah. Two things. There's a high probability the Niners are going to be in the Super Bowl, check. But we have our amazing preachers are going to do this five and five. And uh, I can't miss that at all. So I will fly home Saturday night because I won't miss next Sunday. It's going to be amazing that way. How many of you say, you know what, if PJ is coming from Alaska to be here, I'm going to be here too. Let me see some hands. Thank you, Henry. Thank you. I see your hands. Um, But I'm kicking it off. And then for the next uh, several weeks, our pastoral team is going to help me teach on the topic of what it means to walk with Jesus and what it means to live a life of a true disciple. There are many followers But God is looking for not just followers, not not like some of us on Instagram. Come on, somebody. He's looking for disciples, not just followers. So I'm going to give you two primary texts this morning that I'm going to unpack a little bit. Here's the context from these two passages. They're both found in the book of Matthew. Matthew is one of the Gospels. If you're kind of new to faith, the Bible is pretty much divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. I learned a couple of weeks ago that in the Old Testament, some words like Mordecai, I was saying them wrong for years. Pastor Isaac taught us that it's Mordecai. But then there's a the New Testament, and I'm going to try to like say the words correctly in the New Testament. In the New Testament, there's 27 books, and the first four of them are referred to as the Gospels. They tell the story, the history, uh, uh, they, 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 they share the message that Jesus would bring. They tell about the life of Jesus, his sermons, his miracles. All four of them, it's kind of like surround sound. It's one author, the Holy Spirit, but speaking through different writers. And they, 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 they tell the story of Jesus from different angles. Luke, for example, he is a physician. Smart like our pharmacist, Jeremy. Very brilliant and methodical and intentional. So when you read the Gospel of Luke, it's very detailed. Matthew Matthew is a little different. Matthew was actually one of the first hand disciples of Jesus and again if you remember his background, tax collector. His perspective is quite unique and he starts with the genealogy because everything's got to be in proper order. So then all of a sudden he sets the table for the, the life of Jesus and he begins to communicate the story, the teachings, the parables in detail. The sermons that Jesus would preach, they're all recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Today what I want to do is I want to start unpacking this theme of what it means to be a disciple using two passages from Matthew, and it has to do with the very first instructions that Jesus gave, and then the very final instructions that he gave in the book of Matthew. So you see, when when the Bible records in in red the the spoken words of Jesus, you'll see that Jesus, his first recorded words in Matthew are to his cousin when he's being water-baptized. The second set of words that he communicates are to the devil, where he would quote the Old Testament. It is written, man shall not eat by bread alone. But then, when he gets down into personal ministry, when he starts to impart, these are the the words that are recorded. And it's found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. If you have uh, an iPhone or an Android or a smart device, whatever it would be, you can actually download my notes by just texting 97,000 and CLC notes to that number and then my notes would jump magically onto your device. We also have this magic, ginormous screen behind me with the verses. So, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Now, notice, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He didn't stop for a meeting, he's walking by. Remember, life is a journey with him. He's walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to me, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and they followed him. So their connection with Jesus has started with an invitation. It starts with an invitation. See, when it comes to your journey of faith, it always has to do with an invitation. You didn't choose God. He actually chose you. We're not talking about coming to church. Maybe a friend invited you to church. Maybe you're watching online because you saw some sponsored ad online, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. But more than these things, it's God that always extends the invitation to us. He's the one that says, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. We jack up people with issues. Come on, somebody with scars, with problems, situations. He's the one that extends the invitation, says, I want a relationship with you. I want you to experience my love. So here we have recorded in this gospel, these two that would become the early church leaders, they respond to an invitation extended to them by Jesus as he's walking by. What are they doing? They're just, they're clocking in and clocking out. They're doing their shift. They're working. They're cleaning their nets, possibly at the end of a long night where they may have caught something. Maybe they didn't. Either way, he says, listen, drop your nets, fellas follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, if they were contractors, if they were building something and he was walking by, he would say, Hey fellas, drop your hammers and saws, follow me and I will make you builders of people. He was using the, he was using the, the terms that they were familiar with. It wasn't that fishing was not a good career. It's, it was a great career. Great opportunities, but he was speaking a language that they were familiar with. He says, if you follow me, I will cause you to live a life of purpose and fulfillment. It's one thing to be busy. It's another thing to be busy and fulfilled. Amen, somebody? So what do we see right here? We see seven words that would change their lives forever. He says, follow me and I will make you, in this case, fishers of men. When we follow Jesus, there's an exchange that happens. Where instead of you having to build your own name, build your own brand, guard your own reputation. I'm a self-made individual. Mom and dad didn't hand it down to me. I earned this. There's so many of us that are just grinding through life, trying to make it to the next level. At the end of the day, Jesus is the one that desires to make us to be the full version of ourselves that he's designed for us to be. At our best, we always fall short of our full potential. I don't care how smart you are, how gifted and talented you are. Without Jesus, we never reach our full potential. Why? Because he's the one who created us. He wired us exactly the way we are. He's the one that is aware of the untapped potential within all of us. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly. He knows everything about us. And he wants to take us to higher levels of experiencing him and understanding true identity. So I love this passage right here because it says, hey, follow me and I will make you. He doesn't say, follow me and you're going to learn how to be better people. Follow me and you're going to learn how to be stronger in your convictions, in your political views, in your careers, in your education. He doesn't say that. He says, follow me and I will make you. And that's the beauty of being discipled by him is that he actually looks at jacked up people like me and many of us in this room and he says, I can work with that. In your mess, there's a message. In the test that you're going through, there's a testimony. Whatever it is that you're navigating through right here, Jesus, he sees the finished product right in the middle of this dysfunction that you and I could find ourselves in. He he sees value in you. That's why he's like, hey, follow me. I will make you. So these words would would change their lives forever. True identity, you got to remember this, true identity is not discovered through the academics, though I love all of our educators in the room. I appreciate all of y'all. True identity is not found in a program or a philosophy. True identity is found in a person and his name is Jesus. Looking into him, the Bible says, the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is the one that reveals our true identity and makes us who we really are called to be. It's him. It starts with him and it finishes in him. It's all about him. At the end of the day, we talk about this often, your story shouldn't be about just you. The main character in your story is actually not you if you truly are a disciple of Jesus. The main character in your life if you're a disciple of Jesus is Jesus. You're the supporting actor. <laughs> is that fair? So he starts this journey with these disciples and then he would minister for about three years. It's like this, the, the craziest three-year intern program ever. And he starts recruiting these different cats from different worldviews, different perspectives, different political parties. And, you know, it's like, man, the educated people, the not so educated. How many of you know that, that some people can graduate from the College of School of Hard Knocks? We're all educated one way or the other, right? He recruits these disciples, and even Jesus himself, the most perfect mentor, even one of his knuckleheads backslid and fell hard Judas. But during these three years, he would come and he would begin to preach about the kingdom of heaven that is here. He says, I am bringing the kingdom of heaven. It's here, boys. It's here right now. And he would teach and he would model what it is to be a kingdom citizen. And for three years, man, some of these disciples would have some good moments. And I think of Peter, who had some brilliant moments. And then he had some idiotic moments as well. Therefore, there's hope for all of us. I can relate. Have you ever had one of those, like, great seasons where, like, man, you're crushing it. You're just, like, you're, you're doing your Bible reading plan. And you're listening to the Word, and, and you're praying. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something happened, and you just fell hard into some kind of sin. you're like, how could that even be? Don't raise your hands, but we know. Right? Peter, here's an example of some dude that, like, he was crushing it, and then he would, like, do some stupid things. Then he'd get back on his feet again and then do some more stupid things. And Jesus continued to restore him. Jesus continued to pursue him. Listen, the enemy, one of his, his names is that he is the accuser of the brethren. One of his job assignments, job descriptions. If you looked up the devil's job description and the scope of work, one of the primary things that he does is accuse you. He comes to point his bony finger at you, remind you of the terrible mistakes that you've made and perhaps continue to make. And he never speaks hope. He just brings condemnation. That's what He does. It comes second nature to him. That's, that's how he gets down. Jesus is different though. The enemy comes to accuse, but Jesus comes to restore. So if you find yourself in a season where like, man, I don't know, man, I think I've disqualified myself from this race, from this walk of walking with Jesus. Can I let you know, God's not looking for perfect people. He's just looking for surrendered people. People that just say, God, I know I can't do this. Can you help me? And he says, I can work with that. Give me your hand. And then he begins to navigate with us and he begins to bring us along this journey called the walk of faith. Let's walk together. So here Jesus is ministering for about three years and he's preaching, performing miracles, signs and wonders. People are like, wow, this is incredible. He then would be crucified three days later, like he predicted God would bring him back to life. And then all of a sudden he, like the disciples, they're like tripping like, dude, we didn't read that in the curriculum for this program. We didn't, we didn't understand this, but this is amazing. But they're still kind of in this disbelief, like, what next? We traveled all throughout these different regions and heard him teach, and we saw the teacher perform miracles, and then he died, and we lost hope. But then three days later, he came back and scared the living daylights out of us. And, and now he tells us to go meet him at this certain spot. Matthew 28, it says that Jesus says, hey, meet me, fellas, at this one place, place that they were familiar with. So this is the second text that I want to share with you. First one was the invitation. Here's the second one then, which is Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. It says this, then the 11 disciples, again, they started with 12, one backed out. Then the 11 disciples, they left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Can I just pause for a second right there? Let Let me just help you just a little bit. You can love Jesus and from time to time still experience doubt. The enemy, he loves to bombard people's minds to say somehow you zigged when you should have zagged. You've disqualified yourself. You jumped onto some different track. And now because you have these questions and now because you're second guessing yourself and now because you're doubting, man, God doesn't love you no more. That's a lie from the pit of hell. These disciples, the ones that would actually birth with Jesus the early church, what we are a part of, they worshiped him, and yet some, not just doubting Thomas, some, that's plural to me, some doubted. Can I tell you that it's a walk, and the more you walk with Jesus, the more you grow out of those seasons of doubt and confusion, The more you walk closely with him, he begins to change your mind. He begins to change your perspective. He begins to remind you of his faithfulness because there's nothing new under the sun. So it's not like you find maybe that the situation and the circumstances are a little different visibly, but the emotions can be very similar to what you've experienced before. And if God delivered you from something before, why wouldn't he deliver you from something now? If there is an act, unless you're being Jonah and you're running purposely from the things of God, God is a redemptive kind of God. He's a God that restores. The key is to walk closely with Him. Now, I don't know if y'all met my dad, Pops. And if you're watching, Paizão, eu te amo, abração forte para você. My dad is like tall dude. His shoes, I think he wears like size 15 or 16. It's like, watch out, coming through, coming through. Tall guy, big feet, ginormous hands. I know his hands very well because he would pray for me. And back in the 70s, people would spank with their hands. But that's another conversation. Um, Dad, tall, six foot huge. I forget the exact height, but way tall. When I was a kid, he was ginormous. Like there was Goliath and my dad. They were huge. So when we would go on these walks together, it was a walk for my dad, but it was a marathon for me. It was a walk for him, but in some cases, it was like a sprint race for me. Why? Because his legs were long. You, I think I know, or I think you know where I'm going with all this. And the key to staying close to dad and to being on pace is to run fast and to run close. Because he's walking, he's got a destination, he's got a place that he's going to, and I could get a little distracted. And if I lost my focus, all of a sudden, dad, and I'd have to chase him back down. My little legs, trying to catch up. For every step he would take, I would take three or four. You feel me? The key was to walk closely with him. And by the way, I also learned now, CPS, listen, maybe we have to kind of guard this recording, but old school Christianity back in the day. (laughs) I got to be careful these days. You feel me? But back in the 70s and the 80s, we were taught, not me, my parents were taught. But to spare the rod was to corrupt the soul. So we would use belts, not we. My dad and mom would use the belt. Flip-flops, drumsticks. Not drumsticks like the kind that we eat, but the drumsticks that you play drums with. Little vines from the branches. I was familiar with the chastisement of God. My dad who had long arms and a long leather belt, I learned quickly that when it came to discipline, the more I tried to run, the more painful it was. (laughs) But I learned something, I'm going to just kind of, more than just layering up with more pairs of underwear and shorts, like, dang bro, what's happening with that? More than just all the extra padding, I learned that if I got real close to my dad and kind of hugged his, his legs, he didn't have as much leverage. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Closer I got to him, it was like, it's more like, ah, ah, I'm good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Again, we, we don't endorse that message these days. <laughs> now parents are putting... Children on timeout, you can't use your phone for three hours. That ain't no punishment. I gotta hurry up, move out, move away from this quickly. Here's the point as we're walking with Jesus, the closer you get to Him, His discipline is lighter. We still need it, but the more we run, the more we try to walk and do things our own way, the more painful it is, the more difficult. Not that He's trying to inflict pain, but in His mercy, Praise God for discipline. Praise God for Because he keeps us from drifting into ditches that we can't crawl out of. So when God is disciplining you, learn. Just lean in. Run alongside of him. Get a little closer. Lord, I just surrender all to you. Do like what King David did. He messed things up majorly, but he didn't run from God. He ran to God. So that's just a little freebie right here on those who question. Man, they still doubted him, but they were there. And here's his final instructions. If you're reading in your Bible, it would be highlighted perhaps in red because Matthew 28 verse 18, it says, then Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Let me pause right there. Jesus doesn't have a lot of authority. He has all authority. Y'all need to understand this. He doesn't have just a lot of authority. He has all authority. There's nothing or no one above him. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him. He has it all, way more than the devil. Come on, somebody. So it's not like a close race, like, oh, my God, the devil and the demons, they're like out to beat Jesus. Bruh, Jesus already overcame. All authority belongs to him. And in this conversation, then, what he's telling his disciples, he's, listen, you walk with me for these three years. I've accomplished the mission by which I came here for all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, there, there's a connection right here. This is the bridge word. Therefore, because all authority has been given to me, I'm sending you out. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure of this, he says, I am with you Always. I'm bridging two things right here. I've accomplished what I came to accomplish. All authority belongs. See, listen, and this is a whole other basic doctrine class. Talk to Isaac about this, how you can get involved. All authority had been given to him. So by virtue of he's sending them out, he says, I'm endorsing my message and my messengers. I'm sending you out as my ambassadors. You're going with the authority and the power that is available through me. He says, as you go, make disciples of all nations. Not just people close to you, but go everywhere. Spread the good news. And as you go, know this, I'm going to be with you. You're not doing this alone. Not only do you have my affirmation and my endorsement, but my spirit will go with you. So it started, the first conversation in Matthew, it started with an invitation. And it ends, it concludes with an endorsement and a command." So here's the thought. The command to make disciples is not just a great suggestion. <laughs> it's not just a great like recommendation. I have an idea. Why don't we all make disciples? That's not what Jesus was saying. He says, I've gone through all of this. I've paid the ultimate price. I've done my part. Now I'm in doing you with power. I'm giving you power and authority to go. And you explore this as he goes into Acts. He says, Before you go, receive the power from the Holy Spirit. But he commands us to go and to Make disciples. Here's a thought right here. Too many Christians, they settle for the invitation and they never fulfill their destiny, which is the Great Commission. Who wouldn't want to be invited to a party? Pick me, pick me. I want to go. So we say yes to the invitation, but so many Christians don't follow through with the destiny, which is let's carry the legacy, let's continue the mission. Let's continue to accomplish what Jesus came, what he started, and what he wants to do. It's an invitation to partner with him. So here's the big idea for this morning. We aren't called to just be followers, but disciples of Jesus. It's easy to follow. People talk about believers. Man, are you a believer? Oh, I'm a believer. Bruh, the devil's a believer. He believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That he does have all authority. He believes that. He doesn't think it. He believes it. He knows it. In Portuguese, to my Brazilian friends that are here today, we don't just say, oh, are you a believer? We say, are you a Christian? So, for instance, in Portuguese, we don't say, você é um crente. No, sou um cristão. It's not just good enough to be a believer. you got to be a disciple. A believer, man, can just sit around and be a spectator. A follower can follow the crowds, follow the trends, follow the fads. But a disciple puts in the work. A disciple is the one that then says, I'm walking with Jesus. And like Paul says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. And then the commitment is like, I'm going to help you follow Jesus. I'm going to help you navigate through these walks of life, through these difficult moments. I'm going to help you. Making disciples, it's not easy. So let's explore this for just a little bit. Let me share this example briefly. I don't know. I've, I've experienced this multiple times now. Where um, the best coffees are not at Starbucks. If you're a barista at Starbucks, God bless you. Love you. Cameron, love you, man. That's all good. Great coffee houses all throughout the city. But Starbucks does have chai tea, which is the bomb. And I have to say, their chai tea is cracking. It is good. It's good. Just, let's be real. It's good. Sweet, delicious. So I oftentimes go through the drive-thru, grab me some, some chai tea latte, and um, so those little egg white, little dealio breakfast thingies, right? Egg white, egg whites. These days... <laughs> Our refrigerator, that's all we got these days, is egg whites. We don't have the whole egg, just egg whites. Can't find eggs, but that's another story. But, um, <laughs> so going through drive-thru, uh, I use my magical app, Starbucks app, and it's got all these little stars that say, you got X amount of points. You want to use your points to redeem whatever? Like, Absolutely. I love using points. So I get ready to pay for my latte and my egg whites, and again, someone tells me, hey, the car in front of you pay for your order. Do you want to pay it forward? I look in the mirror. <laughs> I'm like, man, it's the blessing that keeps on blessing. I look and there's a minivan behind me. Man, I was going to use my app. How do I pay it forward with my app and my points now? Uh, so I found myself in this unique little moment, like, this is awkward, I've been blessed, now what am I gonna do with my blessing? <laughs> Trying to do my math, okay, that'd be $9. Like, so I pulled a 20, I should have been more generous, y'all, I'm got, I gotta be honest, I pulled out a 20 and said, how about you use this for the next car? And that's it, don't ask me for no more. <laughs> and I, get, I got no points that day either, because I paid with cash. She's like, It's true. That's my wife. Saying, it's true. Point is this. The invitation is like someone's paid it forward to you. But many of us are stingy. We're like, man, I don't want to spend more time. I don't want to put in the work to help that car behind me become a disciple of Jesus. Freely, I've received. But oh, man, it's going to be inconvenient now. It's going to be a little complicated. I'm going to have to actually spend some time. I'm actually going to have to rearrange my schedule. My family's schedule's busy. My life is busy, but now I'm going to have to pour in an hour, maybe a week or a month to help somebody else grow. Here's a 20. When it comes to our walk with being a disciple of Jesus, a true disciple always makes disciples. One of the greatest qualities of a disciple. You can't be a disciple unless you're making one. Real talk, it got quiet up in here, Pastor Keys. Let's go preach, and I know it's, it's, it's theologically sound, it's just uncomfortable, right? You were invited to become an inviter, you were discipled to become a discipler. So it's not just jumping into the race, but learning how to run the race, how to walk. So making disciples, let's explore that briefly. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower, a student, an apprentice, an intern, and this program is for a lifetime. I don't care how old we are, we continue to learn. If you stop learning, you're not a great leader. Great leaders are always learning. My dad, again, shout out, Paizo, I love you. 78, he still asked for my sermon. I was like, that was a great sermon, son. Can you send me my notes? My dad just text 97,000, CLC note. But anyways. (laughs) But he's always learning, and that inspires me. He's He's an established minister, been there, done that. And yet he's still learning and growing. It's like, man, what an inspiration. We continue to learn. What's the difference between being a light into the world and actually discipling? Being a light into the world is... Like, let's go witnessing. Let's go share the love of God with somebody. That's the easy part. It's after they say yes. Now that's the hard part. Because now it's, it's commitment. It's walking with them. It's diligence. It's, it's covenant relationship. Making disciples basically means helping followers become disciples. That's what making disciples means. Now, there's no pointy finger at you today. But if we were to do self-examination, who's been discipling you? And who are you discipling? Who's walked with you? Who helped you get a jump start? Who would you say like, man, this person and maybe you've been walking with Jesus for 30 or 40 years. Do you remember that person that helped you get jump started until you kind of could walk on your own two feet? Who's who's got that influence in your life? But more importantly, who are you helping? Who are you coaching along the way? And I love what our friend Francis Chan said. He says, making disciples is far more than a program. It is the mission of all of our lives. If you're a Christ follower, you're a disciple of him, it's now part of your job description. I am called to live on mission, not the district, but I'm called to live on mission 24-7, being allied into the world and looking for opportunities to help others grow in their faith. So someone say, keep walking. walking. When Jesus says in that verse, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. that, That word, go in the Greek, is more of a passive verb, which would mean something like this. As you go make disciples. So the word is not just go. It's, it's as you're going, as you go, as you live, you're living on the lookout. You're looking for opportunities. How can I help somebody grow in their faith? How can I help somebody grow closer to Jesus? Now I love outreach pastor keys and our God squad. Y'all are phenomenal. Our church, we're all about it. We don't talk a big game. We just live it. And we're making a difference in our communities. And, and we could talk to you for hours about all the great things that, that our church, we, us, collectively, we get to do. But passing a sandwich, that's, that's a, an act of love for a moment. But then what's, what's next? And I love how our church, like, we, we're invested. So we begin to learn and we build relationship. It's about a name. It's about a person, not just the event. Yeah. And then let's follow up. How are you doing? How can we help you? How can we help your family? And we're committed that way. That's the heart of people who want to make disciples. We want to extend love, but we're here to walk with you. We're here to, to do life, to live on mission together. Making disciples has to be a lifestyle, not just a church meeting or experience. Amen. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Just, I thought I was preaching only to Pastor David, but it's a lifestyle. It has to be a lifestyle. Let me give you a couple more thoughts briefly, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Matthew 5, Jesus was saying, says, you're the light of the world. Like, man, you are salt and light. Salt talks about influence. Light talks about attraction. He says, you are the light of the world. Verse 16 says, in the same way, let your good deeds or your light shine out for all to see. So don't just talk about it, but let your good deeds be evident so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Meaning the reason you do that, what you do is so that people can be attracted to the God that you're passionate about. That's why we do what we do. The reason we do our outreaches isn't because we're trying to do a campaign to bring more more people to church. That's a benefit that could come down the road, perhaps. We love people because we need to love people. They need someone to love them. And hopefully through our acts of kindness and compassion, they're going to experience the love of God and they're going to turn to God. If they happen to land in some other great local church, that's awesome. That's fantastic. If they land here, awesome. Are you with me? Paul would say in Colossians 4, he says, Live wisely among those who are not believers. Come on, somebody. If your co workers, like they know that you're shady and you're at your transactions, that you cut corners, that you lie, come on, somebody. He's saying, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. I'm not talking about you getting up and preaching the two spiritual laws every opportunity. I'm talking about let your actions speak for themselves person of, uh, of integrity, people of great character, people that aren't negative and critical and just gossip, gossipers. That's not us. Maybe that was your old you. It's a time to kind of flip the page. And my new me is like Jesus. I'm going to live like that no more. He says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. That's some good preaching right there. What he's saying is live your gospel out loud. Let the world know and recognize there's something different about you. Man, you are trustworthy. When you say something, you follow through. So actions speak louder than words. And then in Acts chapter 16, and I don't have time to expound on this whole thing. Paul and Silas, man, they're, they're thrown into jail because they were doing good things. they were trying to help this girl. She was a slave. She was demonized. They set her free from these demonic spirits. And Marketplace Ministries, man, they hated her. Not our Marketplace Ministries, but those people in the Marketplace. They all of us said, like, oh, I can't believe these guys ruined our business. They throw Paul and Silas into jail. They're in this cell, and it's at the bottom, this, this dungeon at the bottom of this, this, this place. And, like, man, the smell, the experiences were horrific. And as they're worshiping God, they're in shackles. No more shackles, no more chains. It's another song. I am free. They're singing, and then suddenly an earthquake out of nowhere comes into that place. And it says that not only their shackles fell and their chains, but the cell doors opened wide open and they and all the other cellmates were freed and the jailer realized, oh, snap. In their culture, in the Roman culture, if a prisoner fled or got away from a jail like that, whatever sentence he or she had on them, the jailer would have to take upon himself. So he realizes my life and my family's life, it's a wrap. What did Paul say? Hey, don't harm yourself. He says, be chill. This is Acts chapter 16. You can do that in your devotionals this week. Read it. It's amazing. He says, don't harm yourself. Right then and there, not only did he lead the jailer and the family to Jesus, but immediately he starts discipling them. Not only was like, ah, bro, thank you, man. Bless you. Hey, let me lead you to Jesus. (laughs) Gotta go. See ya. Now he actually takes the time in the middle of the night to baptize them. And while they're, they're, they're being ministered to in their wounds, they're getting Band-Aids and whatnot, he begins to minister it, began, began to disciple them. You know what would happen? Many scholars believe this many years later. One of the very first churches in Philippi, the pastor of that church likely was this jailer. Why? Because Paul took the time to not just share the good news, but to introduce him into a walk, a discipline of being a disciple of Christ. Likely, an entrepreneur by the name of Lydia began to mentor and disciple them. That's a whole other conversation. Let me wrap up this sermon because it's so good. Words and action. Watch this. Making disciples is seldom convenient. It ain't. Real talk. Making disciples is work. It's work. Making disciples, it's risky. Someone's going to disappoint you. Someone's going to frustrate you. Someone's going to just irritate the tar out of you. It's risky. Making disciples, it's messy. It's not, it's not oftentimes fun. It's messy. Making disciples, though, is fulfilling. As you begin to see people blossom in their destiny, All of, there is nothing like it. As I look around through the crowd and I see different faces, people that I've known for many, many years, when I see people following after Jesus and fully surrender to him, there is nothing more fulfilling in my heart than seeing that. Same with Jesus. So here's the action steps for us this week. Two brief action steps. Ask yourself two questions. Who disciples me? And the second one, who am I discipling? Who disciples you and who are you discipling? Then number two, if you don't, if you don't, this is not a shameless plug because I highly recommend this. Join a life group. Don't do life alone. We're launching life groups today. One of the first steps in joining a relationship of discipleship is joining a small group. It's a lot less awkward. And once you have relationship with the group and different members, it could be that someone in that group will say, you know what? I'd love to coach you in this journey of faith. Can I, can I walk with you? And you're like, thank you. That's how relationships are forged and built. So join a small group or live group or lead one. If you've already been a part of one, tag your ass. Start leading a live group. Start impacting other people around you. And remember this, life is short. Eternity is real. People matter most. This life, it's short, y'all. I know it's a grind. It's busy. We got commitments and appointments. I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet. Life is short. The reality of eternity, eternity is real. Heaven and hell are real. People are what's matter what matters most. Everything we do is because we're trying to see more people discover Jesus, grow in their faith, become more like Him. So I'm gonna lead us out in a couple prayers. First prayers we do every Sunday is this: maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you've been distant from God. I don't know what brought you to church. Maybe a friend, maybe something as you're watching online, said, Man, I need to go to church. Something was compelling you to come. But you're here today, or maybe watching online, and you're saying, I'm not right with God. I need to get right with him. What do I got to do? Maybe that's your story today. You're saying, man, I need him to to take control of my life because I've been making some poor decisions. I need him to to be the the boss of me, as my kids would say. Who's the boss of me? The Bible's awesome because it says this, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. I want to lead us out in this prayer today if that's your conviction and your decision in your heart saying I want to surrender to Jesus he's going to hear your prayer in the midst of hundreds of others and he's going to start you in this new chapter of this journey of faith with him so with every head bowed and eye closed would you repeat with me would you say Jesus thank you for loving me thank you for coming after me today I open my heart to you I invite you into my life be the Lord of my life take the wheel today i repent of my sins and all my selfish ways i surrender fully to you be the lord of my life from this day forward and help me god to make a difference in other people's lives in jesus name everybody said amen let's give the lord some praise another one who pray that